It's the TEH podcast, episode number 163. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So after last week's episode, which mm. focused almost exclusively on Twitter, um, right. I decided to do what apparently a lot of other people are doing, um, investigate some of the Twitter alternatives. Mm. And I've played with a few. Um, I have opinions on several. I've, okay. I've settled on one that I suspect I will at least continue to maintain a presence on for a while. Okay. Um, and then I will also point out why um, they are ultimately all probably irrelevant um, <laughs> for 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 what turns out to be a very frustrating yet obvious reason. Mm. So um, there are there are so many Twitter alternatives. Oh um, yeah, I know. It's and so so the ones that I've played with so far um, include something called BitClout. BitClout. Hmm. BitClout, yes, which is, um, it is, w- w- what would you imagine Web3 is all about? It's Twitter on the blockchain, right? It's, it's, it's take your social media app and, and make it somehow on a blockchain. Hmm. Um, and as it turns out, um, 95% of the discussions going on there are all... Um, uh, crypto bros and NFTs oh, and and all that kind of stuff. I don't get. Uh, yeah, the whole crypto bros thing. You and I, we talk. We've talked about crypto before. Sure. I like to be informed about crypto. I don't like to talk about it endlessly. I don't understand yes. why. It's like I mean, do I, even I think stock analysts who like follow stocks and are like, oh, the Dow Jones. I don't think they sit around. For, you know, with beers after work and talk for four hours about NASDAQ, Dow Jones, S&P. No, <laughs> I don't know what it is about crypto that people that are into it just want to keep talking about it. Yes. Well, well, there's a lot of, certainly a lot of theories about that. One is they're trying to convince each other that that they're not running a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know, and and they're all trying to uh, to talk up their individual uh, digital currency, whatever it might be. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, it's 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 all about the wonders of Web three out on BitCloud. So if that's your thing, by all means, yeah. um, you know, go go set up an account <laughs> on BitCloud. I think it'll be it'll be kind of interesting. Um, you don't have a password. You have what will end up being a very common thing in the um, in the crypto world. You'll have a twelve word. Um, essentially it's a password, but it is essentially, it's referred to as some kind of a key for your, uh, your presence on that blockchain. So that's what, you know, whenever I move to another machine and I need to quote unquote log in, um, it's that 12 word thing. I have to go a key for your presence in that environment. Yeah. So password. Essentially, <laughs> but it's but they don't, they can't call it that because this is Web three, you know. No, and, no, no, that's not. No, that's not. Yeah, passwords yeah. like oh, so old. Uh, that's like, you know, okay, boomer, you're in your password. <laughs> exactly, you and your password. We've got our our encrypted uh, uh, identifying chain. Thing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I a while back, this is more of a um, a Facebook. Uh, 
alternative that I looked into last year. I did reactivate my MeWe account. MeWe, yeah. Now I, I tried that out back in the day. Yep. Yep. The day and, being like two years ago. <laughs> and there's, I mean, there's just a whole not a lot of not much going on that I can see of any interest. Mm. Um, I looked at something called wt.social, uh, which is uh I think if it's founded by or sponsored by or somehow associated with Jimmy Wales. Oh, okay. The um the let's see the founder of what was it? Is it Wikipedia? I think it is. Yeah. Um, and as you might expect, uh, given that heritage, uh, WT Social is uh, essentially Twitter implemented as a wiki, which mm. sounds weird, um, and it does take some getting used to, uh, but um, it's an interesting environment. Um, it's an interesting uh, uh, you know, collection of folks that are, uh, you know, Again, sharing things. You just it, the 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 barrier to entry there feels higher, just because it is this different model uh, where they're treating everything kind of sort of as uh, wiki entries. Okay, that's uh, interesting. That one, I give that a little bit of a little bit of hope only because um, of the backing. Uh, yeah, the backing is interesting. I mean, I have to have respect for mm -hmm. you know Jimmy Wales and. Um, so already I feel a little bit like more interested in that one. <laughs> sure. sure. And that's probably worth, you know, taking a couple of minutes to look at, I suppose. Um, the, another one is, let's see, I'm looking at my list here. Oh, Mastodon. You've probably heard of Mastodon. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's another one I tried the same, same time as me. We, I, I don't okay. remember what happened two years ago or so that, you know, a I lot of us Facebook are trying pissed us off. I think you know. We, all of a sudden, we were all looking for alternatives to Facebook. Yeah, our business model is social media network and wait for Facebook or Twitter to piss people off, and then and, and then, then we we'll get be, users. Yes, <laughs> um, Mastodon is interesting because it's not a central service; it is a network of distributed services. So basically, each uh, instead of there being one master Mastodon um, uh, installation that everybody uses, mm -hmm. there are these different instances of Mastodon running on different servers in different places. And, but they can all communicate with one another. So you are still, it's kind of a virtual thing, a, a worldwide thing where you're kind of seeing everybody and you can chat with everybody that you want to, or follow the people that you want to, even though they're on different Mastodon servers, but there is definitely a sense of, I guess I'll just call it locale. And the reason mm -hmm. I say that is because uh, the Mastodon server that I set myself up on probably two years ago uh, mastodon.cloud, I think it is. Um, as it turns out, while I was away, it had been, I'm not sure, purchased isn't the right word, but a different company uh, took on uh, responsibility for that instance of Mastodon. That other company is in Japan. So for whatever reason now, whenever I sign on to, ma to my Mastodon account, all this stuff is flying by in Japanese. Um, so it's 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 a great example of the fact that, mm. yep, you know, it is a worldwide web, not just not just your your little you know corner of the universe. 
But, um, and it's not only Japanese. I mean, there's other stuff, you know, there's, there's lots of other stuff going on, but the, the, the density of languages that I can't read is significantly higher on the particular instance of Mastodon that I happen to be associated with. Now, what I haven't looked into is finding a different one, right? So uh, supposedly yeah. you could like move your Mastodon account to a different Mastodon server. Um, but once again, I haven't necessarily found anything that is compelling about uh, that particular one, uh, the people that are there, uh, the conversations that are happening. Now, the one that I turned out to be spending most of my time on, and in fact, I've got it running in another window, um, interestingly enough, right alongside Twitter, which is in its own tab, um, is counter.social. Mm, yes. And I actually posted about this on my Twitter feed, both of my Twitter feeds and my, my Facebook feed. Um, that's the one I find myself playing with. It's Twitter-like. Uh, it is uh, uh, so far uh, very, how do I want to put it? There's, um, it, it feels friendlier. I'll put it that way. Now it's been around apparently for like five years for quite some time. And it, its origins are in fact as a Mastodon server. It, it broke away from Mastodon some time ago, but it actually started out running with Mastodon code. Um, an individual whose name I don't know, but who goes by Jester, and I'll talk about that in a minute, uh -huh. um, is, the, is the guy who's running it. And which, of course, has its own set of risks, right? Yeah. Um, if if the social media service you're choosing to use is being run by one person, then at some point it's going to exceed his capacity if it's successful. We should definitely um, not have big social media networks run by one person, <laughs> or, or even owned by one person. That's would what be, I'm would, saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So you know, um, um, but I'm interested in hearing more about this. The jester. Yeah, so uh, what's apparently? The yeah. Um, he, he claims to have uh, like uh, a military intelligence background. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> he is some kind of, for lack of a better term, hacker who has done that kind of work in the past. Um, he is clearly extremely technical, but I suspect that he is, um, uh, you know, uh, at capacity or pretty close to it. And the reason I say that is because uh, apparently I'm not the only person who has flocked to counter social. Uh, mm. It is uh, a lot of people came in after immediately after the Musk announcement relating to Twitter and, uh, you know, I have just kind of overwhelmed it. Um, it was down for like a couple of days last week uh, and it's still occasionally a little rocky, uh, but I think he's beyond, he, he's past the point of um, enlarging the service. And now he's more, it's more a matter of, if I understand it correctly, performance tuning the thing. Hmm. Um, it's, it's like I said, it's kind of pleasant. Um, one of the things that's happened is that a couple of people I know are there which immediately makes it more interesting. And in fact, one person you and I both know, uh, Research Buzz, is, um, has been there for apparently oh. some time, uh, Tara okay. Cashin. 
we occasionally have mentioned her here on the podcast because she produces a a, a wonderful so- she's a wonderful source of information about goings on on the internet, particularly with respect to um, data discovery, uh, archival, that kind of stuff. Anyway, she's out there, and uh, like I said, apparently has been for some time. In fact, I think she might be the first person that followed me when I showed up. So I, that's the one I'm giving kind of a a nod to in the sense that that's the one I'm looking at. That's the one where um, I started out by setting up my personal account. Um, and then when I realized that, okay, you know what, this one might be worth investing a little bit more energy into, um, I went ahead and claimed um, Ask Leo to make mm. sure that that stayed with me. Um, and we'll see. Mm. It's, I absolutely consider myself consider myself still in the experimentation stage, um, especially with uh, rampant politics going on as we are recording this. Uh, right. Absolutely, don't want to get into that. But the point that I want to make here is that on Twitter, it's a, a, a lot of of anger and finger pointing and misinformation and redirect and all that kind of stuff. Whereas at least with the crowd that is currently on social on uh, counter social, it is uh, much more, I, I guess I'll just say adult, <laughs> right? It is, it's much more um, uh, thought through and not that everybody, not that there aren't passion, passionate uh, opinions there, but it just seems to be getting handled better. Now, the one of the things about counter social that I find sort of interesting, and I'm actually going to bring up the text because he, uh, he supposedly built it from the ground up with um, a, several goals uh, using uh, Twitter and Facebook and other social media as examples of what not to do. So his um, his tagline, if you will, on counter social is no trolls, no abuse, no ads, no fake news, no foreign influence ops. And one of the ways that is translated into reality is that there are entire countries that cannot use counter social. Um, he's got them blocked at the IP level. That's not to say that individuals couldn't, you know, go to a different country and use it. Sure. But or VPN the, or something. Yeah. Things like um, you know, some of the larger operations that we have seen get traced back to specific countries elsewhere in the world, they're a non-starter on this platform. Um, and he's also not afraid to you know, kick people off if they're being abusive. And there are no ads uh, at all. Uh, in fact, uh, it is completely uh, sponsored by users. Uh, it's free. But if you want, you know, the usual freemium model, if you want some additional features or if you want to support the platform, then yes, you can sign up for um, a pro account, uh, which I did for a while. Uh, it's like a little less than five bucks a month. Um, but it's one of those things where it is supporting the platform and giving it an opportunity to uh, to see where it goes. I guess I'm kind yeah. of hopeful for this one. Of of the ones that I've I've played with, and this is that was the list of the ones that I've played with. Um, I, I kind of like this one the best. Um, I will tell you that I do have a parlor account, uh, but that was one that I created a couple of years ago and then immediately said, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, that's my, that's my fear with a lot of these. Cause I remember, I think it was with MeWe 
um, that uh, I was us and some other friends you know, went in and, and it all seemed fine and good. And then a, a bunch of groups started forming that yes. were uh, alarming. And, it, you know, it, it's weird because I mean, it's, it's not like the, those don't exist on Facebook or Twitter, too. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's this just weird feeling. Uh, you know, it's like being at a party and talking with a bunch of friends in a room at a house party. And you're all having a great time and you're all talking about stuff and, and everybody's really in sync. And then you kind of like decide to wander out to the living room and find there's a clan rally going on in there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's I wasn't like, going to go uh, quite that far. I was going to say, you know, yeah. that, like the, like the, the, the chess club and the computer nerds were having a great time and they walk in there and then there's the jocks talking about football, <laughs> like, yeah. but you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, and it's, it's weird and it's like, well, uh, you know, if I didn't notice that, would it would it have made any difference? And of course, there's going to be Facebook groups that are like that too. But it's like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm not on them, so right. you know, it feels like Facebook and Twitter are so big now that you know, it's like I could be on those platforms and knowing that on some other part of the platform is something you know horrible going on, I could just be okay with not being near it. Right. Whereas that a smaller thing or something you join um, is is you know. I don't know. It just creates a different feeling, which is one of my concerns with the counter dot social thing, because, you know, looking yep. at the creator, it, it's really vague <laughs> what it's really supposed to be. I mean, because the creator's got some, I don't know. I don't really know where the, the creator of the platform is going with it. And it, it makes me it, a little nervous. It, and it should, it should. If, if the, um, if it if it had been a brand new social network, yeah, um, you know that hadn't already been operating for five years, I'd be a lot more concerned. Mm. But given what it is after five years of operation, yeah, you know, okay, I'm going to give it a chance. By the way, I believe, um, yeah, he does list the the countries that are currently uh, blocked here. I, I don't recognize all the flags, but you know, Russia, China, Iran, those kinds of countries um, are unable to. Uh, um, to contact uh, counter social. Yeah. A- anyway, so now here's why I think none of this matters. Um, you and I and and even Tara and a couple of other folks who have showed up on on counter social and some of the other folks who showed up on on MeWe to first try it out and a couple of, you know a couple of the other platforms. We are absolutely not the average internet user. We are, um, in part, we are the leading edge, the bleeding edge, the folks who tried this stuff out because we have fun with it. Um, We're interested. We're curious. We want to see what it's all about. Um, We are uh, the folks who, who a lot of other people will turn to and say, hey, what do you think of blah, where, you know, blah is um, whatever. whatever social network or other technology they happen to have heard about. And they figure, you know, we're the, we're the people that play with this stuff. What do we think? So we, you know, we have almost a responsibility to investigate these things. Good point. The problem is the reason that Twitter and Facebook are so incredibly successful is because Twitter and Facebook are so incredibly successful. Mm. The reason I've not left Facebook 
is not because I love what Facebook's doing or I like their user interface or their feature sets really turn me on. No, it's because we're all my friends. It's where all my friends are. Sure. And the same thing is kind of true um, with Twitter. Um, there's overlap in the Venn diagram, but there's there's a different set of people that I follow out on Twitter. And that's where they are, right? They're not on these other social media apps yet. And I think that until or unless there really is what I'll call a mass migration for whatever reason, um, a lot of these niche social media apps are destined to continue to be niche social media apps. They're not going to be the, the big ones where, um, you know, it's it's one of the, it's it's very bizarre about Facebook because if I think of somebody, a friend that I haven't talked to talked to for a while, or, or just someone who I haven't interacted with all that much, there's actually a ninety percent chance I'll find them on Facebook, hmm. and that's not true anywhere else. There's probably about a fifty fifty chance I might find them on Twitter, but yeah. all the rest are in like the sub five percent chance, right? It's it's one of those things where um, if I actually want to interact with my friends, if I actually want to interact with acquaintances, if I actually want to interact with people I know, I don't have a lot of choice. Um, I can encourage them to come somewhere else, but then that puts them in exactly the same bind because they might come over to follow quote unquote me, but all their friends are still back on Facebook and Twitter. So as much as people are upset about what's going on on Twitter, just like they were uh, a couple of years ago, as you and I mentioned, about a couple of years ago, we don't even remember what the what the furor was then that caused us all to be looking at MeWe. Um, I give it an eighty percent chance of just blowing over, um, mm. and and not much changing. Um, so that's why I'm not sure that I mean all these alternate. All these alternate social media sites are interesting. They're fun to play with. They're they're nice experiments in technology. Uh, if Twitter and Facebook are interested in improving, they should be looking at some of these alternatives to see how they're solving some of the problems that Facebook and Twitter are solving poorly. But I don't know that they have a vested interest in doing that because they've already got the market share. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see. I think... There's some other ones, you know, that, that aren't, they're a little different. Um, I'm thinking of like, say the, like a discord or something like that, which is used more and more. Um, right. D discord is, I mean, cause you're, it's not really a open social network, like, you know, where you can get recommendations and things right. from other people, but it, what discord is eating into that's part of Facebook is the groups groups right yes. it, it used to be that it's like oh i got to be on facebook cuz my company has a thing on facebook or the school my kid goes to has a thing on facebook and i need to and now a lot of that matter of fact most of the new stuff it's always discord so i'm part of something uh and you know it's a business thing or whatever and it's like oh and we have a discord and you go over it and if you want you know to go beyond the simply email support or you know wait for a uh, an online meeting kind of thing and have some sort of communication with other people in that group, 
You got to go into Discord. And it's interesting because it does take the pressure off of needing to be on Facebook or check Facebook, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't fill the whole thing. Like there isn't a Discord for Gary's friends, right? That doesn't exist. I mean, I guess I could create one and try to convince everybody to join it, but that's not really what it's for. But it has almost completely replaced for me the groups that may have been on Facebook. Yeah. And yeah. I am so you know I just fired up my Discord and um which by fired up I made the window bigger. It was always running. Mm-hmm. Um I'm in the I'm in eleven different Discord groups. I'm in uh, probably a few less than that, but it's just about anything that I've signed up for, um any group that I've I'm actually participating in mm-hmm. uh, has a Discord whether it's active or not, some of them are active, some of them aren't. And that's part of the problem is I'd love for there to be a coherent, like converse, ongoing conversation, kind of like the old days, <laughs> the old days in the nineties, <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, in the nineties, you had, you know, user groups of various right. kinds, either right. on AOL or the internet. Um, and those groups were actually in, you know, you would go several times a day and see what people were saying. And then you get to know people on there and yep. all of that. Um, I still, I, I suppose that's happening on discord a little bit, but I don't see it happening for me at least. I, so I will say that at least in the groups that I pay attention to, mm-hmm. it's happening. And then some, and it's interesting because the groups are, uh, one of them is a group set up by, um, one of the authors that I'm a patron of on Patreon. So one of the benefits sometimes of Patreon, uh, of supporting someone on Patreon is either access to their group or to their Discord or access to a private channel within the Discord. Yeah. And what I'm finding there is that, um, just looking at that one specifically, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, probably about 24, 25 different um top discussion topics, channels, as it's called in Discord. Mm -hmm. What's nice about that, A, is I get to pick and choose. But B, you know what you're going to find there. And to stray off topic, again, depending on the zen of that particular group or that particular topic channel, um, to stray off topic will usually have someone tell you, hey, that doesn't belong here, which gives you a much greater incentive to say, you know what, I don't want to deal with, say, politics, but I do want to deal with, say, dogs, pets, Um, then, yeah, you know that in the pet channel, you're going to see a lot of fluffy animals, but you're not going to hear about politics. And that, I think, is really, really appealing. And I agree, that's one of the things that um, it's even somewhat more granular than the groups on Facebook, because um, you know, for example, this patron, or I'm sorry, this um, uh, this author would have a group on Facebook, but it would be all of the discussions all at once. Mm. Whereas Discord is allowing us now to to filter that out. Like I said, I'm while there might be 24 different topics, um, I'm only I really only pay attention to two, uh, maybe three, if I include the uh, <laughs> the safe place to to post your Wordle results. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's it. So yeah, there's, um, I think Discord has a lot going for it. Uh, I have another group that is using Slack in the same way. Oh yeah. Now Slack is the, I was trying to think of like, oh, uh, there's another one, Discord and, and yeah, Slack is also, so that's good. I think that's great because I was really alarmed years ago by the use of Facebook for groups because the number one, it required people to sign up for Facebook, even if they didn't want to. Right. Um, 
And number, and number two, it's, you know, I mean, Facebook, there's privacy issues and all that. And then when I started to see schools doing things like, oh, if you want to find out about school closures or important right. notices, sign up for the Facebook group. Right. It's like, no, you can't, don't require people to go to this private company that you have no control over and sign up if, as their only way to get this but, news. But in a way... That's a problem no matter what service you choose. I get, yeah, I guess Discord, but at least you know, you can sign because Discord, you don't sign, it's not like there's Discord and you're on Discord, right? You right. sign up for a Discord, you know, you sign up for this one group, right? And it's separate from everything else. You, you don't get, there's no bleed from any other groups. It's an isolated thing that trends. So it's more of a platform for groups, right? Than yep. a social network. Yep. So that's kind of the key difference. I mean, ideally, you'd love everybody to have their own separate thing, but then that would be probably not very cost effective. Um, so, well, at, at some point, I mean, the fact that, you know, like I said, I forget, I forget already how many groups I said I was in 11, 12, yeah. something like that. Um, for the, but I'm a member of probably 30, 40, 50 different Facebook groups. Same thing. Do I pay as much attention to each one of those? Of course not. Do I treat them equally? Of course not. But there are a couple that I do pay attention to, a couple that I manage, let's face it. Um, but that too gets really hard for people to manage because when you're a member of a Facebook group, you really only need to go to one place to see everything from all your groups. Mm. Right. You yeah. go to your timeline and stuff flies by. And sometimes it's from here. Sometimes it's from there. It's from people you follow. It's from groups you're a member of. Whereas on Discord, no, you have to visit each individual group in order to see what's going on there. And I think that while that works well, uh, if you've got a manageable number of groups at the individual level, it doesn't scale. Um, it really becomes unmanageable after a certain point. So hmm. I, I'm not saying I know what the solution is, but uh, there's still uh, you know, a, a wholesale migration to something like Discord to, um, to replace something like Twitter is unlikely to happen. The thing that I really like that I enjoy about Twitter uh, and to some degree Facebook is what I'll just call discovery. Um, I, because you can so easily retweet or share or whatever you want to call it, things that you find interesting, then the people that are following you are exposed to something that they would not have otherwise been exposed to. And on the receiving end, I stumble into all sorts of stuff that way that I really appreciate. And that's the kind of a thing you do miss in closed groups. Um, not yep. because they can't share things, but because there's a higher barrier to doing it. Well, and that brings us to, I guess, another one I would throw out there. It, what made me think of it is you said, um, and I agree with this, that if I, there was a friend I needed to get in touch with, 90% chance that they would be on Facebook, 50% chance on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, well, what would be next? And for me, the next one down <laughs> would probably be TikTok. Um, Interesting. And it's, uh, I, I've been thinking since you know the, the last week of, is could TikTok be used as a Twitter or Facebook replacement in a way? Um, TikTok, of course, is only video, right? But people use video in different ways. There definitely are people um, that uh, you know, just record quick little video clips of them talking, no editing, 
nothing special going on. They didn't produce a video. They just used the camera, turned it on and posted, which is kind of like a post. But there are other people who actually do write something because you could very easily film some video or take a picture of something and then take the text and paste it into a little thing that then speaks it for you using right. one of the TikTok voices and actually puts it on the screen at the same time. So you don't have to actually listen. You can actually read what's on the screen. And that's that comes close to a tweet, just a different looking tweet. You know, yes. it's not just text. And it really made me think of how I'm using TikTok. I, I've been trying for more than a year now to post Mac most like videos, tips and you know, things, tutorials, to, you know, learn stuff on TikTok. And that's all I've been doing. Um, I am jealous of the people that create something completely new, you know, whether it's, you know, some interesting thing that they talk about or hobby they share, or uh, maybe even some fiction they create and somehow mm -hmm. make it into TikToks. But it occurs to me that I could just go back to like the original Facebook use and original Twitter use and just post what's going on today. Like, oh, here's an idea I came up with. Here's, you know, a milestone that Mac most passed, or here's what I think of some Mac news or something like that. And basically treat it like I would posting to Facebook 10 years ago, um, or maybe 15 years ago, maybe. Um, but just, you know, everything would have to be a video. So I'd have to find quick ways to do that. And there are a variety of quick ways to make those videos, like I mentioned. Uh, and if, uh, TikTok has like two modes. One is the for you page, which gives you that discovery, right? right. And right. the other is your following page, right. which is only people you follow. So you do get your list right there of here's the people I said I want to follow and the latest stuff from them. Is so, it the latest stuff from them though? I still think that even on the uh, following page, mm -hmm. you're getting algorithmed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I mean I don't think it's in chronological order. Like here's the late last thing posted by the last person in your list or whatever, and then the next one down. Like I don't know if it's like that. I wish but, I, I would love to see. I think everybody wants to see that as an alternative on their social media platforms, and I think that's probably the biggest gripe between um, Twitter and Facebook and mm -hmm. you know even TikTok. Um, what I find myself doing because I can't rely on the following feed is I will actually go to my own list of of folks that I follow. Yeah. And then we'll go to each of their pages in turn sure. to see what they've done. And you could um, do that with you know, most of these networks and TikTok as well. Um, right, but it's a lot of work and not the kind of work, work that I would expect I, the average user the, to take the time to do. I think the following page gets you close on that. Um, but anyway, it's just something that occurred to me yep. that for me, at least it seems like TikTok is less toxic because the emphasis on entertainment and people being entertaining to each other. How much um, of that is the algorithm? Yeah. So if I wanted to just, you know, when I, you know, the whole doom scrolling thing, right? It, it, certainly there on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I don't feel it. The algorithm at least has been trained by me. Right. So I don't feel it on TikTok. Right. You know, I feel like I'm going to see fun stuff and songwriters and uh, people doing cool things with technology and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, um, but anyway, I, I've, I'm considering that. I'm considering switching my TikTok channel, not switching it, but uh, starting to put things on TikTok that I normally would just have posted to Twitter. Like, oh, hey, Apple announced the Worldwide Developers Conference keynote date today. 
right. you know, here's what, here's what I I'm guessing they're going to announce then, you know, that kind of thing. And just throwing it up there. Um, I used to post stuff like that years ago to Facebook and Twitter, but I haven't in a long time. Yeah. And I, you know, to be fair though, the cost of failure is pretty low, right? I mean, yeah, you know, the, the worst thing is that nobody sees it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And my, it's not like my tutorials are really taken off. I think I've gotten a few that have a few, a few thousand views and most have had a few hundred at most. Mm -hmm. So it's not like if I start posting there and that it doesn't work that it's like, oh, I lost all that right. buildup that I've done by posting tutorials. No, right. I think I can only maybe gain uh, from doing it. So I'm considering doing that. Also, uh, TikTok has the ability um, where you can actually link to a particular TikTok and somebody without an account who's just looking on the web yes. can view it. Yes. So when I do create something and I think it's like a nice little thing, I can post it, say, to my patrons, or maybe I post it on Twitter if I want. I was going to say, I see a lot of TikTok yeah. videos on Twitter and on Facebook. So it has a little bit of that. Anyway, just it's just out of all the different things, like Snapchat, I would never in a million years have imagined trying to use Snapchat like that. Instagram right. also. Instagram really seems to go out of their way to make it difficult which is is view your Instagram anywhere else. It's weird because there are a lot of people that apparently are using Instagram as their yeah. primary social media and yeah, communications oh yeah, tons. But like is, I tried, like years ago, I tried to put um, somebody's Instagram, uh, like they were having trouble keeping up their, you know, posts, doing more posts. Mm -hmm. So I suggested, well, do you find it easy to post Instagram? Oh yeah, I could post every day to Instagram. Great. I will rig up something where your website is just basically your Instagram feed. You post mm -hmm. to Instagram and everything else is taken care of. Mm -hmm. I was amazed how difficult it was to get that going. And then a few months after I did it, the route I took was shut off by Instagram. It was like, <laughs> there just doesn't seem to be a way to actually, you know, do a good, like you can have these little widgets that may may display like your latest Instagram photo on your web page and they sometimes work. I don't know. It's just a pain. And it seems like something Instagram should actually be doing. Like here's right. your here's your widget. Put this on your website and it becomes your Instagram feed. And I don't know. Just the other one that we didn't mention that that I thought of when you said, you know, what's the third place you'd go looking for somebody if you were trying yeah. to to connect with them. Um notice that LinkedIn didn't get mentioned. Um, <laughs> yeah. link, LinkedIn is very, is very niche in, in the sense that most people consider it to be primarily about, um, with the workplace. I want I was going to say business, but I'll just say the workplace people, uh, you know, it's a place to find a job. It's a plain place to find your, you know, to post your resume and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's very niche in that sense, but a lot of people are up there. Um, yeah. they may not be checking it every day. Uh, but, and unfortunately I think also LinkedIn has opened things up a little bit too far so that there's just a little bit too much, um, n relatively explicit marketing going on. Um, mm. whereas on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and the other places, uh, it's more personal, right? It's more people posting things and the things that are true marketing are ads that people had to buy. Whereas on LinkedIn, what I'm seeing are people posting uh, what basically boiled down to glorified marketing attempts. Yeah. I, I mean, LinkedIn's never, I mean, I've, I've, I have a LinkedIn account, but I've never actually used it for much. It seems like the main reason for to be on LinkedIn is job searching, right? Right. Uh, something I haven't had to do since 1994. 
Right. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, it, there's been, I think the most use I've ever gotten out of LinkedIn is when somebody else who's actually job searching uh, wants me to write a little testimonial. Yes. And I have to go and dust off the password and get into the LinkedIn account. Is go in LinkedIn, and say, oh yeah, I've worked with them before. They're really good. Yeah. Is LinkedIn the replacement for a, a resume these days? I that's what I that's what I think. Although there are a lot of other websites that are specific for getting jobs that if you just, you know, if you you go onto that site and that's what you invest in, that you know, invest your time in. Right. Then you just have your information there. And then you never have to bother with LinkedIn. I think maybe LinkedIn for higher up stuff. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. um, again, I haven't looked since 1994. I know, you know, one of the things I see, strangely enough, on TikTok, right? A lot of people that I follow, I follow because I'm interested in how they tricked out their van to live in their van. You know, they create <laughs> these like they you know, create these like cool little houses inside their van or a school bus or something. Um, and one of the things they talk about is how to get enough money to survive because the idea is they're kind of living very low income, right? right? They need a trickle of money to live. And so they've opted out of the economy. You know, they're not, they don't have a regular job. They're not staying in one place, but they do need this trickle of money to buy food, to buy gas whenever they need to move, you know, pay for a few little bills. And um, so I see mentions of the ways to get those jobs because a lot of those jobs are online. Some of them are, are actual physical jobs, and you, there are apps apparently that they can go to to find these. So they don't just have some sort of like group of techniques. They actually have an app, of course, where they go into the app and say, I've just, I've, I've just parked my van outside of Reno, right? What's available? And it's like, oh, they need people in, at this warehouse for stocking. You know, you can get a job for two weeks. Interesting. Or here's an online job. You can do tech support for this company and you can do it online as long as you can dedicate 12 hours uh, and do it for you know at least eight weeks or something. And that's how they get these jobs. So the whole idea of even having resumes right, doesn't even make sense anymore. I'm, I'm sure they go into these apps, fill out a bunch of information about themselves. And then when they you know, see one of these jobs, they're just doing it. It's like they're doing a dating app. You know, They click the, you know, <laughs> I'd like to match with this company. Right. And then somebody right. in the company says, oh, we've got 12 matches. And so, oh, oh, wait, this person's got some, uh, you know, customer service experience. I'm going to tap or swipe right or whatever it is. And then suddenly you're matched up and you've got a job, you know. Yeah. It's a, and to be fair, it's a good use of the technology. I mean, it's 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 very good use. It's, yeah, it's the it's the gig economy, the next level of the gig it's, economy. It's, in it's, many ways. Yeah, it's a, a type of gig economy. And and yeah, it's interesting. And I think. So that I think there are many people that don't have resumes because they're like you and me and we're, we work for ourselves and it's been a long time. And there's other people that don't have resumes and they're on the opposite end of that. They're actually working micro jobs. They're not even, they're, they, they wouldn't put a resume to get together because they're not looking to get hired by a company and get benefits and long-term employment or anything. Anyway, that's yeah. so the current state of of investigating social media. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm still Ask Leo at Twitter, and and I'm and I'm you know Ask Leo fan as it turns out on on uh, uh, Facebook because yeah. they they wouldn't let me have Ask Leo for some reason hmm. uh, back in the day. But um, that's where, to the extent there's activity, that's where my activity is. That. You know, I, I'm I'm comfortable pointing people to. 
Um, I, you know, the, the thing on uh, counter social, um, yeah, you know, ask Leo is there. I'm not posting anything to it yet because that's typically just a placeholder, but I'm still kind of dipping my toe in and seeing what it's like. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for the various technologies, but I'm not hopeful for any mass migrations anytime soon. And that's even with, um, you know, a lot of people potentially leaving Twitter, uh, you know, because of Musk purchasing it. Um, a, who knows if it'll actually go through, but B, not enough people will leave to make it uh, uh, enough for, uh, I, I just predict a lot of those people are going to come back because their friends never left. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how, like, if, if you asked me 10 years from now, will Facebook and Twitter be in the same place like they are now, like mm-hmm. dominating their mm-hmm. little sectors? I'd say chance of them both being in the same place Mm-mm. probably not but i have no idea how that how it's going to be any other way yeah. like i don't know what's going to happen to make that change but i just know that th- neither company's been around that long and i mean certainly we we were both doing very similar things that we are doing right now um not that long ago before both of those companies existed yes and and we also had other companies around like Yahoo, for instance, that didn't seem like they would go anywhere or change that much. Um, MySpace. That's, that's the, the example, the, the example of, of what can happen. Um, and I think what a lot of people will hope happens to things like Facebook or Twitter, depending on how they feel about it. Um, yeah. You know, MySpace, they were dominant and then they weren't. And yeah. I don't think anybody could have predicted what that path was going to look like. Uh, only that, yeah, it happened. Yeah. So we'll another, see. another example is Skype. Skype was, I mean, Skype became a verb. Yes. It was so predominant, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, how somehow it's, you know, somebody asked me to contact them on Skype. People like, Skype, wow. Okay. I think I have an account <laughs> somewhere, um, but you know, it's like, it's still around. It's just that you, if you were told 10 years ago um, that there'd be a lot more video conferencing and people talking using their webcams, mm-hmm. you would say, oh, well, yeah, Skype. And you'd be surprised to find out, no, it's Zoom, FaceTime, Google Meet. Microsoft it's, Teams. It's bizarre. I, I, what was it? I had a, um, oh, actually. <laughs> So as part of the the couple of topics coming up for me here, um, I ended up having a conversation with my wife over Facebook Messenger because that's our basically common chat platform in audio. Facebook mm-hmm. Messenger does audio and video pretty much just like Zoom or some of the others do. Um, I was impressed by the quality, but it seems like embedded audio is just about everywhere now you want to make you want to make a phone call to somebody you can pick zoom or or facebook messenger or whatsapp or you know any of these other chat you could even do it in things like telegram and uh, signal if i'm not mistaken uh, so skype is not as unique as it once was and uh, microsoft absolutely dropped the ball on uh, advancing the technology or even marketing it very much yep hmm. All righty. So as I alluded to, I had a couple of other things I wanted to talk about today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was traveling and you know, this is one of those 
camping trips where camping is in quotes because really we're visiting a family member. And what we do is we bring the travel trailer because we get to bring our own bed, our own kitchen and our own bathroom. Um, The problem that we have there, of course, is that the Wi-Fi in that area uh, sucked. It was you mean really Wi-Fi bad. or the mobile? Well, both, as it turns okay. out. Oh, so um, they're their own Wi-Fi in there. So yeah, the so the the area that we're in. Normally, if I'm traveling, I'll use either of what's available, whatever's stronger. Like if I'm in a hotel and they offer internet, I'll see how good it is. And if it's not that good, I've got my little uh, MiFi. It's called. It's a little Verizon LTE box. It's basically a, a mobile to Wi-Fi converter. but um, And that usually does really well for me speed-wise for what I'm trying to do when I'm traveling. Uh, I barely had mobile connectivity where we were. And so it was like dropping continuously. It just did not work for, for data. And then the Wi-Fi that was available there uh, because of where we have to park the trailer and its orientation and all that kind of stuff, um, it was just too far away. So that signal was super, super weak and um, uh, also dropping all the time. And in fact, one of the reasons we skipped a couple of weeks ago, this podcast is because I was traveling during that time. And that's what I was faced with. And this Zoom call that we're on right now simply would not have been possible given the, uh, the state of the internet that we had up there. I did. I thought about it. And I realized that this is a situation that in our travel trailer, I will encounter again from time to time. So I ended up buying, of all things, um, a very simple Netgear, uh, what boils down to a wireless repeater. It's also often referred to as a range extender. But what was interesting about it is that I ended up installing it in pretty much the same place that my laptop was. In other words, it was dealing with the same signal that my laptop was trying to to reach. Mm, Okay, yeah. But the Wi-Fi extender, uh, A, it's it's purpose-built device. Its job is to take a quote-unquote weak signal and then transmit a strong one. So it's designed to be a better receiver than my laptop. It has the ability and the expectation actually that it will have like bigger antennas to receive more of a signal. Uh, And indeed, that's exactly what happened. Uh, It was one of those things where I just, I plugged it into a wall socket uh, within the trailer and configured it as appropriate. And all of a sudden, not only did my laptop have a very nice signal because it was basically just at the other end of the trailer, Mm. but um, the speeds, I was limited once again by the speed of the internet service and not the speed of the Wi-Fi. Um, So I just wanted to throw that out there for folks where there are a lot of ways to improve your wireless connectivity. If you're in a home, if you you know you've got a bad end of the home, the ideal, of course, is to run a cable and throw a wireless access point at some other point in the house. But especially for this situation where I might be running into it again and again and again, not just in this location but in other places, because I, one of the state parks we visit frequently also offers Wi-Fi. But if you're not parked like right close to the Wi-Fi antenna they provide, then the signal's not going to be all that great. Now it's going to be better. So I wanted to throw out wireless repeater as an option for um, uh, for basically improving a, your your internet connectivity uh, in some appropriate situations. 
Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that happened, and this was frustrating as heck. Um, I was taking a picture of the dogs as I do with my, <laughs> with my phone yeah, and it crashed. And I said, oh, you know, okay, fine. I forced rebooted it uh, and started looking at which pictures had been taken and which ones didn't make it. And it crashed again. And I forced rebooted it this time, having to get a little bit more serious about the force reboot. You know, I don't know if iPhones do this, but on most Android phones, there are diagnostic reboots where you can, you know, you do the magic sequence. And instead of just having the Google logo come up or the, the, the booting logo come up, it actually gives you the moral equivalent of um, a little text screen where you've got some options. Yeah. So you can go into diagnostic mode or do this or just mm -hmm. reboot the phone. Managed to get it into that, rebooted the phone. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think I took one more picture and it died a hard death. Mm. It was not coming back. Wow. So, okay, you know, that's fine. That happens. Um, devices die. It was a little annoying that, you know, it was only what, a couple months ago that my the SSD and my laptop died, but, you know, the dogs are really cute. They're so cute. They broke the phone. So, but I was traveling. And when I'm traveling, I rely very heavily on two-factor authentication, which is mm. my phone. Oh, yeah. Which wouldn't even reboot. Wow. So what do you do? As it turns out, um, there are, the answer varies depending on the service you're using, but most importantly, how much you've prepared. And I say that because it is one of the common themes for people who end up losing access to their account that they don't have their alternate email address set up, or they don't have a current phone number associated with their account or any of those kinds of things. Right. So step one, of course, is to make sure you've got all that. And normally if you implement two-factor authentication on an account, the service will typically either walk you through or insist that you set up something, some of those. Uh, one or more is plenty, but they will usually insist on it. So for example, when I went to log into my Gmail account, it first asked me for my, I use a YubiKey, which I also didn't have with me. Uh, so I say, okay, you know, I don't have a YubiKey. Mm -hmm. What else can I do? And I have all these other things set up. So I had Google Authenticator, which is what was on my phone. So I couldn't use that. But it also had the opportunity then to send, okay, we'll send a code to this email address. Great. And I was in the, I was into Gmail. Um, in other cases, I was using, SMS as the uh, uh, two-factor authentication mode, not because I love SMS, but because that's the only thing that that particular service would provide. And as I've said multiple times, SMS two-factor authentication, as broken as it might be, is better than no two-factor at all. So the good news is that, sure, if I replace my phone, the number will port. 
SMS is associated not with the phone, but with the number. So when I get a new phone, it just will work. So then I was you know, dealing with, okay, how quickly do I need to get my phone replaced? As it turns out, it wasn't that urgent for those particular accounts. And I could um, just wait until I got home yeah. to deal with it. Uh, but <laughs> um, and what I did do, I mean, I could have, if, if I had needed to, there was a phone store for my carrier, not far away. And I could have driven over there and we could have done the thing in a couple of hours. I would have a new phone with, with my number and SMS would have worked again. Uh, what I did instead is I went to the, uh, uh, the carrier's website and ordered my replacement phone so that it would arrive home the same day that I arrived home. Mm. And I could just do everything that way. So SMS, Yep, there's a solution. There are solutions just to remember. The important thing to remember is that SMS is associated with the number, not the device. If you lose the device, you move the number and you carry on. However, there was one thing that I did want to do that I ended up not being able to do. And that was one where um, not only were there no alternatives to SMS, um, like I said, I didn't have my SMS and I elected to simply wait until I got home. Had I needed to do that urgently, then I, the only approach that would have worked, well, there were two approaches that probably would have worked. One is um, it was a banking account. So uh, I, you know, I, I could have gotten the replacement phone more quickly by going to the store. Or in that specific case, I had a person I could call. And you know that would have been essentially the second factor, and they would have probably had to have done done something to the account um, uh, to make it accessible to me. But the bottom line here is that, from my perspective, it's a really, really important to understand not just what happens when you lose your two factor, your second factor, because you will lose it. It will happen. I didn't lose my phone. My phone broke. That's the moral equivalent of of something happening. Uh, you got to prepare. You got to have the alternatives in place. You got to know what it's going to take. If I lose my phone, how painful will it be to regain access to this account? Do I have all the alternate email addresses? Do I have a working phone number? The scenario that I see so many times from people is they will have set up an alternate email address that they no longer have access to or a phone number that they no longer have. Um, and they just, they, they can't get back into their account. Um, so anyway, uh, Yes, it means that accessing that account will be a little bit more inconvenient. Um, you know, I had to click a few more times. I had to go wait for an email to arrive at a different account, all that kind of stuff. But it's better than not being able to get in at all. And it really all does rely on making sure that you've got all those recovery methods. Um, and doesn't when I say all those, I'm an extreme case. I've got like five or six different ones associated with my Google account. It doesn't have to be that many. It only really needs to be one or two that you know are going to work when you need them. And they can be you know, inconvenient. That's fine, but they'll work. Um, and then when you recover, then you come up with you know, your new two-factor authentication that makes things easier. Anyway, I just wanted to share that experience because I think that that's something that a lot of people worry about. And it's it's it was doubly difficult for me because uh, I was traveling at the time. If my yeah. phone were to die here and now, it's not really that big a deal uh, because most of my accounts on my on my desktop machine are, are logged in without requiring two-factor authentication after the first 
log in. Um, but when you're traveling, it's a whole different story because you explicitly don't want that stuff to be easy for someone who steals your laptop or finds your phone or that kind of stuff. So anyway, like I said, just wanted to share that story. Yep. I've, uh, I've often thought about, you know, when I travel, what would I do if I uh, lost access to all that? One of the reasons that I used to bring my iPad with me was because I was able to use those same authentication apps on the iPad. Mm-hmm. So I actually had two devices with me that could, um, you know, be used. And they usually, I mean, while I was, was traveling from place to place, they were both with me, but one was usually in a bag, the other usually in my pocket. Right. But, and then when I'm at a place, one usually goes with me out to dinner, whereas the other stays behind in the hotel right. room or whatever. Right. So it's a little bit of a backup, but it is great now that uh, password managers uh, can actually store in them the, um, you know, the two-factor authentication codes. Which I've not played with yet. I, I need to do that. I oh, I'm, I'm all over it for a while. Yeah, because yeah, one password added it a while ago, more than a year ago, and mm-hmm. then Apple added it to their to their system. And so I've actually got it in multiple places. So I, right. uh, all I need to do is access my uh, one password vault. And, you know, I, the, the password to that is something I've memorized. Right. Um, so I c- could get access to that vault, which is stored in the cloud. Um, and then I also, if I got access to iCloud, even without any device I had, mm-hmm. I could uh get access, you know, with the help of another device to some of those codes, at least enough of them to get, you know, because once you start cracking open stuff, you know, there are so many sites where you, they have backups where I would send an email confirmation email and all this stuff. So once you get in and now I've got access to my email account, I've got access to a couple of things. Now everything else can kind of there's multiple ways I get things back. It's just it turns that- out to be a bootstrapping problem more than anything else. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And I will admit that um, I use Authy for my Google Authenticator. That's compatible. what I used to use. Yes. Yeah. And the reason I use it is because I can have it on multiple devices and indeed um, a couple of the accounts for which I was using Google Authenticator. I too had my new iPad with me and I had mm-hmm. already installed Authy on it. So that turned out to be another uh, a backup approach to dealing with. Yep. Um, with my lo- the loss of my phone. Cool. Speaking of cool. Speaking so, of cool, yeah. <laughs> um, we are recording this on Tuesday. Tomorrow night will be the final episode of Star Trek Picard, second season. I have once again been thoroughly enjoying that show. Uh, so that's my, you know, yep, this is something that's cool. Are you watching Picard? No. Okay. No, that's on one of the things I don't have, like it's a Paramount or Paramount Plus. Yep. Yeah. I don't have, that's like one of the few I don't have. Well, we'll work on you. Anyway, yeah. what I'm really looking forward to is I think either tomorrow or the day after uh, is Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which yeah. um, is looking really, really good. A, and I, I'll almost say an unexpected spinoff of Star Trek Discovery. Um, uh, which everybody, I mean, basically everybody that saw the characters and the enterprise get introduced in discovery all said, this needs to be a separate show. This needs to be a spinoff. Um, and um, they listened for a change. And uh, the initial reviews I have read, I read a couple of them uh, so far this morning um, say that it's, it's actually quite the enjoyable outing. Um, it is not quite as um 
um, heady and story archy as uh, Discovery or uh, Picard, but it actually kind of sort of returns to the original premise of Star Trek, where it's more of an episodical. Each episode kind of sort of stands on its own. Mm-hmm. Anyway, looking forward to that. Those are those are what's cool for me this week. Cool. Well, uh, for me, you know, I'm in the middle of a bunch of shows. <laughs> so like, I don't have anything to report yet for some cool shows and stuff. So I'll just go back to the last book that I um, finished and found worthwhile. It's a history book called Empire of the Summer Moon. And it's one of those things where it just fills in a gap of, you know, it's stuff they absolutely do not teach you in the United States and about U.S. history. And this is about basically the history of uh, Comanches and the Southern Plains tribes. Oh, cool. Um, which based, you know, uh, goes from like around 1800 to 1870 something. Um, and uh, what, you know, parts of the world like Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma were like, um, you know, people living on the frontier, uh, warring uh, tribes um, that were uh, kind of uh, taking on new technology like horses and guns. Mm-hmm. And um, and the clashes between basically, you know, two very different civilizations that lasted a very long time, um, a lot longer than people think. And, of course, ended a lot, you know, more recently in history than a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was fascinating to read all that and and, and horrible to think that, uh, you know, this is it sounds like it's just a huge chunk of American history that I knew nothing about growing up and going to public school and going to history classes and learning about the presidents of the United States. Yet I didn't learn about any of this stuff going on. So, so for some really, reason it makes me wonder. So the, the last Neil Stevenson book we re- we read. Yes. It's very, yes. Uh, coincidental that there's a Comanche tie in. I was wondering one. if that's totally coincidental. What tricked you, tripped you into this book. No, but it did. I did. There was th- things I learned that then I understood some of the stuff from the Neil Stevenson book. I was like, "Oh, okay, now yeah. this is really interesting." Is yeah. like, yeah, they're 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 for some of the Comanche tribes, their existence was war. You know, it was not like they were farmers sometimes went to war, or they hunters who sometimes went to war. It was like war was what they did. Interesting. Very interesting. And, and also I read a book about, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mongolia and, you know, the Mongolian empire from mm-hmm. centuries before that. And I found some parallels, you know, centuries apart and, and the opposite sides of the planet, but just um, the idea of warring tribes that were nomadic and, but war was not something they did as a like, oh no, we're going to war with somebody. It was like, what are we going to do now? <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> we're last go to week war. I think I mentioned that we're watching Vikings, the original yeah. series. Oh, that's and, yeah. And um, there's definitely that dichotomy there, uh, where you know they're they're about war, and yet they're trying to deal with um, uh, you know some segment of their population may be farbing focused so anyway that was uh yeah interesting stuff it, it, it's a good book it's a good read and there's some really interesting things and um yeah it's just it, it's like boy truly american history stuff that happened here not that far from where i live actually some of it 
that's talked about in the book, like the Sand Creek Massacre, mm-hmm. very close. Like I could literally ride my bike over to where the Sand Creek Massacre happened, which was, uh, you know, uh, something I did know about, but not until I lived here. But I should have learned about it when I was younger. Right. Um, anyway, uh, so there you go. Recommendation: Empire of the Summer Moon by S. G. Gwine. Gwyn. I'm not sure how to pronounce the author's name, but excellent, Gwyn, but yeah. excellent book. Uh, let's see. Over on askleo.com, I will point you all at, I think I've been fished. Now what? Uh, it's askleo.com slash 2734. One of the common questions I get is, um, you know, I, I clicked on the link. I know I wasn't supposed to, but I clicked on the link. Yeah. How much trouble am I in? Uh, and the answer, yeah. of course, is always, it depends. Um, but for the most part, not a lot, but you need to understand exactly, you know, what, what, what's more important than clicking on the link is what happened next. Anyway, mm. askleo.com 2734. I think I've been fished. Now what? Cool. Uh, I did a video this week on doing speed tests, which is always a good thing to do to make sure you're getting what you're paid for from your internet, provi- internet provider. Um, but the cool thing is that in macOS Monterey, there's actually a hidden speed test tool. So if you don't want to go to one of the sites that has like ads all over it, Mm-hmm. You could actually uh, open up the terminal and type a command, and it will do a speed test for you. That actually uses Apple's servers, so kind of a a, a I guess a I don't know maybe a, I don't know if it's a fairer test because I tried it and it comes out about the same. Mm-hmm. But you know if you ever are suspicious that oh the speed test page is trying to sell me something or right. you know whatever, <laughs> uh, you could you know you could run this little command in macOS Monterey. And uh-huh. actually get one where it's Apple just telling you, oh, here is the speed test between you and us. I, uh, I, I've i always been very, very suspicious of the speed test pages offered by the ISP. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> they have a vested interest in providing you really good results, whether or not they're accurate. Well, and primarily what you're trying to do is see if you're getting what you know they say that you're getting, right? So maybe they're not the best people to ask. <laughs> um, I'm going to... Uh, since I, I definitely still have the uh, the Mac Pro running down in my basement, I'm going to have to look at your video and find out what it is. Speaking of which, um, mm-hmm. as it turns out, tomorrow, the uh, uh, the Comcast engineer is going to be here, and they're going to crank up my speed. Oh, um, cool. It was That's t- something I should, I, yeah. It's it's interesting. I, this is a business connection, so I'm you know I'm paying more for it than just a regular consumer connection, but. Um, and, and I'm on a contract. So it's like a two-year contract. But every two years, they call me up or you know, we make contact. And it's like, okay, time to renew the contract. Here are the current offerings. And basically, for about the same amount of money, they increase my speed by about 50% every time. <laughs> so it's like, okay, sure, make it faster. I'm okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, something I need to do too, because I think they offer faster speeds here um, now than what I originally got. And uh, the main reason I haven't is because, like, I literally don't have any delays. Like, we we can have three TV shows streaming to three different people yeah. here. Yeah, and I could be <laughs> uploading something, and it's like it's like not like I'm feeling any pain from the bandwidth I'm getting now. I was so, talking to the rep, and you know, we said, okay, so you know, what are the offerings? What can we do? Yada yada. And he's looking up my account, and he says, I can't be right. He says, oh man. You use a lot of data. 
Oh, <laughs> when the ISP, you know, at his end for business says, you're using a lot of data. Are you like, is this like a business? Is this your home? And it's both, right? So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's my work, but we're also doing a bunch of streaming and so forth. So, yeah, apparently uh, we're going through about three terabytes a month, which is wow. okay. apparently, apparently quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I could check. I don't know. Be interesting to see. I mean, I upload those videos you know, every, you know, five days a week. So there's a couple it's things going on big. here for sure. I mean, as you know, I back up like crazy. And one of the things oh, I, I do, do that too. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and I've, the way I've got things set up is on my servers. Um, when I do a backup of like a website, it automatically gets pushed to Google drive, which is then automatically downloaded <laughs> to the Mac in the basement. So that's, I'm sure part of it um, is that all these backups are being downloaded overnight on a regular basis. Mm. Interesting. Yep. All right. Well, I think that pretty much ought to wrap us up. Um, The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh163. If you've got a comment or a question for us, be sure to leave it there. We'll take a look. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.